0: Good afternoon. I'm Stephanie Jansky, Director of Programming at the City Club of Cleveland, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to our fourth film forum at the 43rd Cleveland International Film Festival. We are talking about the movie Hugh Hefner After Dark and are answering the question, how far can we push boundaries before they push back? Uh, For the first 15 minutes or so, David C. Barnett will lead our panelists in conversation. The second half is powered by your questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand and one of our microphone holders will make their way over to you. Please don't shout out your question. We are recording for our podcast. We wanna make sure we can capture your voice. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our moderator, senior arts reporter at IdeaStream, Mr. David C. Barnett.
1: Good morning, thanks for coming out on a crummy day. Of course, Bridget's used to this up way up in the Great White North, I'm sure. Um, I, my, I'm sorry to say my tuxedo and my red silk pajamas are still at the cleaners, so you just have to deal with me like I am. Uh, Bridget uh, is, is a German native who made her way, or Brigitte, as, as we call it off Deutsch, uh, is a German native who made her car- film career in Canada, and this groovy little film is one of over 100 documentaries she's produced over the past 30 years, including several people on the arts, and one of those on clarinetist Artie Shaw won the Academy Award. (laughs) This, I believe, was the last film she co-produced with her late husband, Victor Solnicki, who's a well-known uh, person in the Canadian film world, including being a producer on some of the early David Cronenberg films. So he's a pretty significant guy. Uh, what I what I liked about it, uh, Brigitte, is just the, I mean, you have to understand from the production technique, this film was done with, I mean, I mean, the original uh, Playboy After Dark sh- thing was shot with big honking cameras moving around all those people. You don't see that today. I mean, today it would be so much easier to produce something like this, but they did it back then that way, so it's really an amazing film. I understand that the Artie Shaw film and the one you did on Cornetist Bix Spiderbeck helped connect you with Mr. Hefner.
2: Okay, there we go. Thank you. (laughs) Um, As you probably gathered, Mr. Hefner was a terrific, great jazz fan. More than a jazz fan, he knew everything about jazz, he knew everybody in jazz. He made sure they were on his shows. And um, over the years he continued that with the Playboy Jazz Festival and Jazz Film Festival. He heard about my film on Bix Beiderbecke because Bix was his favorite jazz musici- musician. And so his executive assistant, Mary O'Connor, she called me and said, um, I'm calling from the Playboy Mansion, and I thought, oh yes you are indeed. And <laughs> didn't believe her, and uh, so I said, would you ask Mr. Hefner to write me a letter, which he did. And uh, that was the beginning of it all, and this is how the previous Hugh Hefner film came about, and this film. it's because he trusted me.
1: You, and th- which alludes to the fact that you actually did another documentary on Hugh Hefner about 10 years ago. Wh- what, what is the difference between that one and this one? Did you take outtakes from that or something, or how did that work?
2: Um, well, the earlier film was a film about Hugh Hefner, the person, the playboy, the rebel, and the uh, activist but it looked at his life the creation of playboy magazine etc cetera, etc cetera. the film here deals purely with the two shows and the people who were on it and the fact that hefner created these shows because things were going on in america that he did not like and so he wanted people who were not allowed anywhere else on any of the other shows he invited them on his shows. He wanted to give them a chance to speak out. And the reason I held a lot of those talks a little longer is because I wanted to show this wasn't just uh, sound bites. This was something that he believed in, that the activists, of course, believed in, and this was real. This mattered. Uh,
1: I'm looking at Dick Gregory, Pete Seeger, And Hugh Hefner, uh, you must have been working on this for a long time, because they're all gone. Six years. Six years on this film. Dennis Berry is an internationally distinguished museum director and cultural historian. In recent years, Dennis and his wife Kathy have actually developed museums and special exhibits, such as the Spy Museum in Washington, the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, the Grammy Museum, uh, the Maltz Museum of Jewish Heritage, to name a few. He made his mark here in Cleveland as the founding director of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do you miss partying with Def Leppard?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I certainly did, I was here. Uh,
1: And in, in terms of pushing back boundaries, his national reputation was set back in 1990 at the Cincinnati Contemporary Arts Center when he and the gallery were indicted on pornography charges in connection with an exhibition of photographs by renowned photographer Robert Mapplethorpe. So the boundaries were pushed back there, but then a jury did another pushback, and Mr. Berry and, and the Arts Center were totally acquitted. <laughs> Dennis, give us a little uh, context here. What was the nature of the, uh, the Mapplethorpe uh, pictures that was so controversial?
3: Well, before we go any further, Dave, yes. I want to say that I am a proud winner of the Hugh Have First Amendment Award. Mm-hmm. So seeing this film today and seeing the amazing work that Hefner did over the years and Bridget's capture of that is really a great moment for me. Uh, it's, you know, it's, 19, it's the late 1980s, which again was a volatile period, mostly about issues of race and homosexuality. And Robert Maplethorpe was a photographer who captured a lot of that in his very controversial uh, photographs. And uh, what happened nationally was that uh, members of Congress took on the images of Robert Maplethorpe and the ability of museums to show these images. And in fact, various museums caved. uh, Most notably, the Corcoran Museum in Washington took down the exhibition because of the congressional pressure. So by the time it came to Cincinnati, which was about a year later, uh, it was a huge national controversy about what we could show in a museum and we clearly my staff and board and I decided that we would not take down the uh, photographs even though there was great uh, community pressure and lots of uh, publicity and even major political figures going all the way up to the White House involved with the controversy. The end of it was that yes we, uh, we were cl- uh, the police came in the vice squad they shut the museum down for a couple of hours. They indicted me for pornography and indicted the museum. I'm not quite sure how you can do that. <laughs> but, uh, the, and uh, we had a court battle that lasted a year. But to the credit of Cincinnatians, of ordinary people, uh, a jury of eight people acquitted us of all the charges based on the fact that they weren't gonna let others decide for them
1: what they could see. And within the exhibition, the, the particularly controversial photographs were secluded, right, in, in a separate space. Well, because of
3: Ohio law, and we live in such a liberal state, but yeah. and Cincinnati but especially, Cincinnati especially, yes, because of Ohio law, um, if mine if there was uh, the ex portfolio showed uh, homosexual sadomasochistic, beta, sadomasochistic. It's hard to say this on a Sunday morning, uh, acts. And uh, we were informed by our attorneys, of which we had many, that I could get up to ten years if minors were allowed to see those photographs. And so we had a sign that said, "You had to be 18 or over uh, to see those photographs." But they were, they were there for our almost 100,000 people to see.
1: Uh, well, I was going to say you probably got a big, big attendance boost with uh, all the atten- with all the publicity. Great publicity. <laughs>
3: You know, going to to court is always the best publicity.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Laura Wimbles is a uh, Cleveland photographer and storyteller. You may have heard some of her stories on NPR's The Moth radio program. Uh, She's a four-time Moth Story Slam winner.
4: Uh. Yes.
1: (laughs) You may also know her from her 2016 book, Faces of Cleveland. Very popular book. It was sold locally. Uh, Also a website. Uh, Until it was discovered that the guy on the cover was a Trump supporter. Yeah,
4: News to me. You got a big <laughs>
1: uh, backlash on that, I guess.
4: I Yes, I did. Um, before I go any further, I just want to say thank you so much to the City Club and the Cleveland International Film Festival for having me. It's an honor, and I'm humbled to be sharing the stage with all of you amazing people. I have not been indicted on pornography charges. Uh, not yet, anyways. <laughs> um, You're working on it. I'm <laughs> working on, <yeah. laughs> no, um, when I, I began the Faces of Cleveland project in 2013, and it never really set out to be a photo book, let alone what ended up happening with it, but um, I was coming out of a very bad engagement breakup and moving into my first home that I bought by myself, and I just wanted to cover the walls with images of my friends. I had made a lot of friends in Cleveland, musicians, artists, comedians, just doing wonderful things. And I felt like our city was on this amazing upswing. And so I just started taking pictures of people that I admired. And then that led to networking and um, getting to meet and photograph people that I had long admired from afar. And it grew over time. And the person I chose for the cover of the book is a very well-known bouncer at the grog shop in Cleveland. And um, he's been there long enough. I, I think he came with the place. I think he has just descended down from the rafters. <laughs> and if you've been to the or grog... From the yeah, th- yeah, from <laughs> yeah. um, If you've been there once, he's got an iconic face. And um, it was late 2013. I was walking down the street in Coventry, where the grog shop is located. And I happened to have my camera with me. And he was kind of bebopping down the street towards me. And I stopped him and I said, I'm doing this photo project. I would love to take your photo for it. May I? And he said go ahead. I took one shot. That was it. And he kept on going. Um, now during that moment, we did not have any, uh, discussion on political affiliations. And I don't think during late 2013, uh, the idea of Trump being our president was even an idea in anyone's mind. So when the book came together, um, that was June of 2016, it had gone off to print and everything. And, you know, the election was getting close and, The book was released in October, and um, the man on the cover, I I chose that bouncer picture, um, he started posting publicly online of himself at Trump rallies. Uh, And, um, you know, everyone's political decisions are their own, but that spilled over onto my shoulders for some reason. um, And I found myself uh, a Hispanic woman being called a racist and a bigot, and every name you could uh, throw at me, and I felt like I had really failed somehow. I failed the city, I, I misrepresented myself, I misrepresented a lot of the people in the book, and um, it was pretty scary.
1: You're currently engaged in a bit of boundary pushing now with a photo documentary. It's described, it follows strippers and erotic dancers both on and off stage.
4: Yes. Okay, um, we're
1: intrigued now, tell us more.
4: <laughs> um, I began that project 10 years ago. That was always what I wanted to be my first book. I, um, on a very chance meeting, met a former porn star who was retired at 23. Her name's Carmen Hart. She was formerly with Vivid Pictures, and, um, she had retired from the pornography scene, but she was going around the country doing feature dancing, which, if you don't know, feature dancing is when a well-known person in the pornography or... Stripper industry, uh, they they're the star of the night. They they headline at a strip club, essentially. So I followed her around to six different clubs around the country and just documented her time on stage, off stage. It was really amazing that the clubs let me have that kind of access, and I think it had everything to do with the fact that I was a unassuming female. <laughs>
1: Uh, it was interesting that you, you said in a, a scene interview that uh, you went into this project kind of feeling sorry for the women and came away feeling different
4: I did yeah, I, I had a lot of um, preconceived notions that were incorrect i, I you know I, I grew up I was um, pretty sheltered in Berea, Ohio um, and uh, strippers always fascinated me because I thought, wow, that takes so much courage to get up there, but At the same time, I, you know, believed a lot of the social norms that are fed to us that they're all on drugs or that they're all, you know, these sad women having to be thrust into this lifestyle. And after I spent one weekend in uh, a club with Carmen in St. Louis, um, I was like, oh, these women, they're business women. They're hustlers and they know exactly what they're doing. They know how to get it. I mean, sure, there's drugs involved in some of the women, just like I think with any uh, aspect or area of employment, but I I walked away with a very different mindset. I felt sorry for the men.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let let me throw a couple more questions and anybody can jump in on this. Uh, Brigitte, uh, in our Me Too era, I understand you've had issues getting this film screened.
2: Um, Yes, it takes a courageous festival director to actually accept it. We were very fortunate that Julie Hansinger at the Telluride Film Festival believed in it, so we got a wonderful world premiere last September. Um, but a number of festivals have turned it down because the name Hugh Hefner, oh. you know, it just, it's an immediate reaction, a reaction without thought and without research or really looking at a complete individual, which is what I was trying to do in the earlier film in this film, and I believe it's really important to look at the entire human being before you make an assumption, a decision, whatever. But unfortunately, festival directors also think of politics, et cetera. So yes, um, it takes somebody courageous, like Bill Mm -hmm. Gunzler.
1: Looking at it through a 2019 lens, um, you indeed asked that woman, uh, the young woman, if she felt exploited, and she said, no, I don't. And yet, in that era, the uh, Hefner was pushing a, a view of sophistication that was a guy in a tuxedo and a pipe, with some arm candy, and I'm wondering how how do we deal with that? Dennis, is this at all comparable to the Maplethorpe uh, controversy? Art and artists can be problematic or complicated at any given time, right?
3: Well, they, uh, well, they are, and it's interesting to look at how the issues move on. Uh, you know, Maplethorpe came at a time again when we the AIDS epidemic. We were very insecure about a number of things in terms of sexuality. There were a a number of political things going on, maybe not as intense as now. But that issue, for most people, we've moved on. We've moved on from, I mean, we have gay marriage. I have to tell you, in 1990, I couldn't have imagined gay marriage. uh, And a society that accepts basically uh, the, the... majority of Americans accept gay marriage. And now the Me Too movement, I think it is interesting what Bridget's saying, because uh, I always thought there was this aspect of Hefner that was fascinating and, you know, groundbreaking. But it's always a little bit, to, it's dangerous to be groundbreaking. And at the same time, there was a sexual exploitation of, of women. We, come on, as playboy. Uh, but now you know we look at all these things with different lenses. We didn't really talk that much about sexual abuse. We were talking about this last night because of Michael Jackson. And we did talk a lot about sexual abuse. Maybe it was there, maybe we knew someone, maybe we grew up with a priest, whatever it might be. Uh, but it's now a, a very predominant issue. In 1959 and 60, it wasn't. Right. I don't know how much attention Heff gave to it. I know that his daughter deals a great deal with the issue, Christy, and is very sensitive to the issue, even though she was the publisher of Playboy. So and again, it's our times and what becomes the focus of our times. And again, how we've seen, and I think, how we see politicians manipulate our times. You know, Certainly the Maplethorpe uh, issue was a political issue as well as a social moral issue. And I'm sure the Me Too issue and the uh, explo- uh, exploitation of women and children is a political issue as well, especially when you think about the kind of political leadership we have today.
1: Uh, Laura, I wonder, uh, given the uh, imminent debut, when is this book coming out? Of the strippers? uh, um, uh, The erotic. To
4: to be determined, I I still have another probably year, year and a half's uh, worth of work uh, to do. Um, I had done the tour with her about a decade ago and then kind of just put it down, life got in the way, and then did Faces of Cleveland, so I, I've picked it back up.
1: I'm wondering if, um, given current community standards that we've just been alluding to um, over the past few minutes, um, th- the reception will be certainly greatly different than uh, it, w- it was for Dennis 30 years ago and for Hefner 50 and 60 years ago.
4: Absolutely, and I, I recognize that that is a, the way that society has grown and changed um the fact that I have that privilege and that I have that ability to be free and open with my art and not have to go through what you did, that's astounding. And really, in the span of time, it's a blink of an eye how much has changed.
1: So, that's our panel. You got to know them a little bit. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. This is all about you, okay? So, let's, 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 we've been watching this. Now, let's, let's, you feed back to the screen. Got a person over here.
0: I have a a very mundane question. Who was the most interesting person that you had to leave on the cutting room floor?
2: Oh my goodness, there were many. Um, But I feel that had I not included Moms Mabley, (coughs) that would have been absolutely something (coughs) I would be criminally charged with, especially by my husband who's now up there. And, um, you know, so I think I did capture, and I tried to capture the best. um, And I wanted, one person I wanted to interview was Tina Turner. And I knew she lived in Switzerland, and I even FedExed the letter over to her. I figured out where she lived, but I never got an answer. she kind of kept herself away from things at that time. I believe she's now doing a play about her life, So um, I would have liked to have included her interview.
1: Another question. I I find myself wondering, as I see this, what would be like this in 2019? What show, experience, activity uh, there could be in our media today that would have this kind of uh, uh, impact and reach? Do you have any thoughts on that? So different, I mean, the distribution of, of, of yeah. content is so different now.
3: I, I guess I would say that uh, as sometimes tired as it is, I think Saturday Night Live still, c- it doesn't have that format of casual whatever, but it still has the format of dealing with uh, contemporary issues and a variety of players and, and kind of the cutting edge of music, which, by the way, half was showing a certain cutting edge of music mm-hmm. at that time. But, uh, you know, and you could say, well, you know, it's a, it's a skit show, but I'm not sure about any, and maybe on podcasters, I'm not sure there's any contra- kind of conversational show. Bill Mayer. Bill Ma, I yeah. would also
2: say Bill Ma, but yeah. I don't... Um,
3: he doesn't have enough of a following.
2: No, exa- it's exactly. I mean, he's very outspoken. His people are outspoken. So that part is in yeah. his show.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but otherwise, no, I don't think so. And some people have even said, you know, it would be very expensive. To do a show like that yeah. today, for all kinds of reasons, just the talent alone,
1: the food alone,
2: and the food, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Dennis and I both remember watching Playboy After Dark <laughs> as teenagers, uh, and uh, but there isn't. Uh, I mean, what what kind of distribution did this show get? I mean, I mean, it, it w- was relatively popular, I guess.
2: It was relatively popular. It, uh, as far as Canada, it only showed in Montreal. It didn't go anywhere else. But it was syndicated, so it showed, you know, individually in different cities. It was, it did very well in most places. And uh, I looked at all the reviews, which is why I put in, you know, some of them and, and, um, you know, had variety magazines review being told by my narrator. But um, it, um, it was popular enough, the second one, to have two seasons. Mm -hmm. So uh, people did like it, they appreciated it, but you know, after two seasons, um, Hefner moved on to other things that were important to, to him. Yeah. Uh,
3: thank you for a, a wonderful film. Uh, Laura, when I started my uh, entertainment business in 2008, I kind of took the path that you went and got a chance to meet some of my heroes and people that I had admired. And uh, a lot of those are in your movie, Bridget. Uh, I am surprised uh, of all the the footage of Michael Wadley, who put together the Woodstock film and uh, Don't understand why Artie Kornfeld who was the architect that sold the, the movie rights and the record rights to Warner Brothers In order to have that film made was not in
1: <laughs> Hepner's purview <laughs>
2: um, Yes, no, he wasn't but actually Michael Wadley put a lot of his own money into making the film mm-hmm. which is why he had, he could do what he wanted. He had final cut, which is mm-hmm. very unusual. So, um, he is really the heart and mind. They came to him, he, he wanted to do it. They'd come to others before, nobody wanted to do it, but he actually got the film footage. In the photograph, there is, um, uh, a young director, did anybody recognize oh, him?
3: Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, Scorsese. yes, yeah.
2: very young. Right. So, um, you know, but, uh, yeah. I, I give kudos to Michael Wadley, who now is into, you know, climate change and everything else. I mean, he's <laughs> continued to be an activist traveling around the world for that.
3: They did, a, what, 120 hours of, of footage on the Woodstock film. And we worked on the Woodstock Museum. So, I, so if you ever go uh, to White Lake, New York, there is a Woodstock Museum where some of that other footage could be seen.
2: That's, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Thank you. Is, yeah. Thank you. All these things we learn.
1: Another question? In the middle? I think
5: hmm. I'd like think I to have. say, first of all, my condolences um, that your husband has passed. Thank you. You speak very kindly of him. I didn't know that I would come here and have uncontrollable tears, um... I am 66 years old and so I remember those tw- uh, the second show I just have to say what I heard in terms of how sad I am that we have not come further and that every day um, it's the indelible stain that when I walk out of the house I always know that it is a, 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 a almost, um, it just follows me, so thank you very much. Um, it, but it did make me have lots of, uh, emotion. Thank you for that film.
2: Thank you for saying that, and I feel that along with you, which is why I, I Jim Brown's interview, and he himself touches me so deeply, you know. Um, I, yes, I think, um, it's very important to speak out, and to make people listen, and... Maybe one day they will really listen.
1: Someday soon. Another question? Comment? Oh there's one there's one.
0: You know you you this taught this uh, for Laura, I guess mostly, but the idea of pushback is so powerful now. I mean, I would say the right is pushing back, and they're using free speech as their vehicle to say, you know, you can't censor us. Their political correctness is wrong, and you can't censor us. Yet it's hate speech. It, to me, it's hate speech. And I, I really uh, have very hard time arguing with them, and you were right in the middle of it. You know, you, it's, it's the idea of the pushback around the First Amendment is uh, not the way I, w- I would say it was Burnback or whatever that one movie was. You know. Do you have any comments about that?
4: Um, it, yeah, it's, it's tricky because you realize how responsible you are for your art outside of it just being art then. It becomes a, a, another layer that I never even thought I was going to have to, uh, deal with and particularly going back to what you say about how, um, easily it is to have the pushback and the, and the comments. It's, you know, with the internet, it's instantaneous and everyone can see it and everyone can chime in and, um. Uh, I, I I'm of the type of person where I would rather ha- let's have a conversation about it like let's talk about it instead of just attack 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 because that's so easy to do um, but it, yeah it's a interesting times that we live in yeah.
1: <laughs> well failing another qu- we've got another question good okay
5: Thank you for bringing this to Cleveland I think it's very important and as someone from the a younger generation I didn't even know that this existed and in, in our time now is there any work being done to get these shows on a platform that people of our generation people of today can see them again.
2: Well, the Paley Museum in New York and Los Angeles does have some of these shows in their archives. They believed very strongly, Ron Simon, that's why I interviewed him, in what happened during these shows and Hefner's work and creation of those shows. Um, You can also find them on YouTube. The quality is um, not so great, but there's some on there. And it was another reason why my husband, it was my husband's idea to make this film. And it was why we ended up approaching Mr. Hefner, and after writing a treatment, got the yes to do it. But, um, you know, I'm hoping, right now, all these shows, I presume they're somewhere. The archives have left the mansion because the mansion is no longer a Hefner uh, place. And I don't know exactly where they are. Christy would know. Um, it's something I might mm-hmm. mention to Christy, you might also mention mm-hmm. it to her, because I agree with you, you know, there are things, you know, we shouldn't lose our past. Our past is what inter- informs us, uh, we need to know about that, and then we can really move forward. So, thank you for saying that.
1: Got another question in the middle. Not really a question, as much as, you know, uh, people uh, they look at the show and they say eye candy on his arm, you know, but there were so many other shows that did the same thing. For instance, like *Hee Haw*, or *Laughing*, *Laughing*, and and you can almost see so many even sitcoms. You know what I mean? So, but it was the culture d- of the time. That yeah, was the yeah. way we were. Right, but I mean, uh, a lot of people have a negative thoughts of, of Hugh Hefner. And maybe because of the later shows that he had, more current that younger people would know, you know, like the the Girls Next Door show and all that, you know. But uh, back then, uh, you know, a lot of the shows had the same concept, you know.
2: And Wheels of
3: Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree
2: with you. You know, again, it's easy to slide into the negative, you know. And you need, some people just want to get a scapegoat, you know, for what they don't want, and they just go on the attack.
0: Um, hi, Bridget, thank you so much for that film, for everyone in the theater. Just so you know, Bridget was my high school film teacher. Um, And we both have films here, which is pretty remarkable. I haven't seen her since I was 13. So, thank you for that fantastic film. Um, I want to come back to the, the Me Too question, because I think it's so interesting. Obviously, this was a man who pushed forward, you know, a number of important ideals in very tumultuous times, and had done some very brave things on television. Um, on the other hand, there are these allegations of how um, he treated women and women who have claimed abuse. Um, a, a woman who claimed abuse by Bill Cosby in the Playboy Mansion that he was, um, that she uh, alleged he was complicit in. Um, how do you reconcile? Uh, how do you reconcile that? I mean, I, obviously, nothing has been proved in a court of law, but we also know in the Me Too era that that um, these are, you know, often very valid allegations. So I just wonder how you, uh, both as a filmmaker, as someone who knew him for so long, um, how you grapple with that.
2: Um, first of all, thank you. I'm so glad I taught you, and thank you for this question. Um, I can say for a fact that when it came, whether a man or a woman um, over some issue, Hefner always, always, always supported the woman. There was never any abuse when he was aware of it. Unfortunately, um, sometimes he can't oversee the entire mansion and people don't catch everything. But what about Hefner? What you saw, what you saw out in the public, that's who he was. And, um, as far as having many women living in the mansion, he had nine girlfriends at one point. But, um, he never, ever, ever, and I could say that 150% abused any one of them, ever. Um, he loved women, he respected women, which is why Christie became the head of Playboy as well for a while and um, you know he gets dragged into the allegations again against Bill Cosby because you know so I'm that's unfortunate and um, because he is so openly a Playboy as well it hits him as well but um, as far as What you see is what you got. There was nothing behind closed curtains. And I've been there. And Mary O'Connor, who I mentioned earlier, his executive assistant, she worked with him for over 40 years. She was a staunch feminist. She would not have stayed with him had he been like that. And if she would hear these allegations, oh, my God, she would be totally furious over it and because she knew every bit that was going on. So um, that's really what I need to say.
1: We were just talking a couple minutes ago about the importance of remembering the past and uh, digging through the past and bringing it up and letting us learn from it. And that's what uh, Brigitte Burman has definitely done. Thank to, thanks to you, thanks to Dennis Berry, and thank you to Laura Wimbles for a very interesting discussion. Thank you. And don't forget to vote. Rip off the corner as you're leaving. Thanks.
3: Major, I'll see if I think I have one. Great.